0: Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And we are here for our second week of the Month of Love series, the series where we take works that sound like they're going to be romantic and then ruin your date night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that sentence, and I was like, oh, man, she's going to talk about the month of love again, and I'm going to have to put in a joke here about how, like, we always ruin <laughs> love stories, and then you did it for yourself, so that's great. I did. I You're, did. like, taking my job away from me.
0: I'm sorry. So, Chantelle, do we have any peer reviews? In fact, we do have peer reviews. We have three peer reviews to make up for the two weeks that we were 100% factually accurate, so, um... Last week, we made up for all of that. Love it. It's what I want to hear. We asked for peer reviews and they came through. (laughs) Peer review number one is from Ethan. He wrote in, he said, A Rose for Emily is probably set during the Reconstruction Era because we did not know when the hell (laughs) it would have been set. Um, But apparently the Reconstruction Era is, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it's basically the North came down to the South and they were like, hmm, what problems can we solve? Problem one. No. Why are they Italian? Italians live in New
1: York, right? The only people who came down from the north were deep Italians.
0: Yes. Not even like New York Italians. Just like straight, they came from Italy through the north to the south. Okay. They like stopped for some spaghetti and meatballs because they didn't have that where they were from.
1: Mario and Luigi were just like, we will fix all your plumbing and also... Your racism. Why are they Ukrainian?
0: Um, I'm really not sure what accent that is, but you tried. I tried. It's okay, you're French. I'm French. And then the South was like, can we just go back to the good old days of last week? I took an American
1: history class. I should know more about this, but you know what I learned about the Erie Canal? I don't know what that is.
0: Also known as Clinton's
1: Ditch. I
0: still don't know what that is, so.
1: I don't know why I wasn't paying attention. <laughs>
0: my lowest grade. (laughs) Sorry, Americans, but you don't know Canadian history either. So Uh, second peer review is from Zach. Hello, Zach. We said that Disney put a little disclaimer before one of their cartoons and they were like, hey, this is racist.
1: Don't do it. It wasn't Disney.
0: It wasn't Disney. Uh, It was actually Looney Tunes because Disney is still in denial that Walt Disney was not a good person.
1: Right. That this is not a, a Disney bashing podcast, so we're gonna move on. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> and the third one is from me. For, oh, from yourself. We can peer review ourselves. That's a that's a self-review. That's just
0: editing. <laughs> I'm editing myself. Okay. I have a retraction. I said the young man in the sea. And I was trying to refer to Ernest Hemingway's novel, which is actually called The Old Man in the Sea. <laughs> But in my defense, I looked it up and there is also a novel called The Young Man in the Sea. It just was written in 2004 and has nothing to do with the first one. Well, you weren't wrong. I'm counting it. I'm giving myself like a B on that fact.
1: I was going to give you a B plus, so that's pretty good. Well, thank you so much. But I've always been a lax grader. (laughs) <laughs>
0: that's true when
1: I was a TA I had like a really high average in my class and it's just like I was so happy that my students were performing like anything at that
0: point I was like wow you're handing in work I'm so proud of you I would have liked to have you as a TA I bet you were a fun TA I was a fun TA so this week we're going to be talking about the love song of J. Alfred Proofrock which is a poem by T.S. Eliot T.S. stands for Thomas Stearns interesting the more you know the more you know so this is actually my favorite poem I think ever I think so it's not my favorite poet which is obviously my homegirl Christina Rossetti we'll get there eventually we will get to her eventually and I'm very excited for it but yeah I think this is my favorite poem the first time I was introduced to this poem I did not actually read the poem I read a webcomic that mentioned the poem the webcomic was called pictures for sad children and I loved it a lot And uh, there's a scene where one of the characters, Gary, goes to a party and the party is introed with, let us go then you and I with the evening spread against the sky like a patient etherized upon a table and it shows like a college kid passed out drunk on a table. (laughs) And, uh, And he meets a poetry major at the party and then she like asks him to meet up but then she just steals his car and he's like, I thought you wanted to hang out. And she's like, that's not what I meant at all. That is not it at all.
1: Uh, Remember when you lent me that and then I read it in like a sitting and you were like, wow. And then I proceeded to do that with like every single thing I've ever read.
0: Yes, (laughs) I do remember that. In fact, you're a binge reader.
1: Well, I used to be. I've been working on the fourth book of Scott Pilgrim for five months.
0: (laughs) Uh, not because it's not good, though. No, just because it's on my like
1: night table. I'm like one night, I'll I'll read it before bed, and I don't read before bed. I want to go
0: to bed when I go to bed. I was in a reading funk too for a while, and then I read a really good book called Two Dark Moons that everyone should read. I loved it a lot.
1: See, I've been in a reading funk since 2018. <laughs> I read Good Omens. I think that's the only full length book I've read since.
0: Just don't graduate if you want to keep reading. Just stay in school forever.
1: Yeah, don't, don't graduate, guys. Um, that's, like, pretty much what happened is, like, I graduated, got the degree, went, oh my god, I'm depressed, never read again. (laughs) Oh, look, I read as much as I need to. Now I never need to read again in my life. Well, I guess that's not true. I do read, like, fluff books, um, but they don't have substance, so they don't count.
0: They count, yeah, anything counts for reading. Like, the back of a cereal box counts for reading. I guess. But they're not like intellectual or as
1: one of my favorite characters in Animal Crossing would say, intelligentual.
0: <laughs> as I said in one of our tweets,
1: <laughs> we have Twitter
0: at Unsighted Pod, guys. If you claim to love reading but only read contemporary fiction, I'm really proud of you. Don't let anyone ever tell you what you can and can't enjoy.
1: <laughs> Chantal, you're just, you're so much better at the Twitters than I am. Thank you. Um, and that's why uh, you run it.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so uh, I think the best course of action for this poem, it's a pretty short poem. I think what we should do is just go over like kind of what the poem's about and then kind of go through it like a little bit line by line with the best lines. Go forth, buddy. <laughs> so uh, basically what it's about is the narrator, J.L. for Proofrock. Um, I'm going to call him J because I feel like we're on a first name basis by now. His name could also be (laughs) Jalfred. No. Okay. I hate it. I hate it. I can't believe you've done this. Threw me off my rhythm. You gotta (laughs) throw him off your rhythm. Oh my god. Okay. So, Jay um, is taking us for a little walk around a city and he's just telling us about his problems. Uh, He is an indecisive, self-conscious bachelor who is aging, we're to assume, and he's basically in the middle of courting a bunch of different women, and that's where he's at in life.
1: Can I interject with a fun fact? Please do. Okay, so, remember how last week our short storyist was a Nobel Prize winner? Yeah. This week, T.S. Eliot is also a Nobel Prize winner, but in 1948 for his outstanding pioneer contribution to present-day poetry that's fun. Good for him. Also, this poem that we are reading is uh, known as a modernist
0: masterpiece. With which I agree. Okay, so back to the poem. The poem does not begin with the poem. It begins with an epitaph in Latin. I had to look it up because I don't speak Latin. Do not speak Latin. Um, (laughs) It's actually from Dante's Inferno, and the translation is If I but thought that my response were made to one perhaps returning to the world, this tongue of flame would cease to flicker. But since up from these depths, no one has yet returned alive, if what I hear is true, I answer without fear of being shamed. Um, Which is basically like, I can tell you my story because you're going to die anyway, (laughs) Uh, which is kind of ominous. Coming from someone who's about to make a big confession. A wee bit From his own little self-constructed mental hell. So then we jump right into the poem. And I am going to read the first stanza, because I like it. So it starts, Let us go then, you and I, when the evening is spread out against the sky, Like a patient, etherized upon a table. Let us go through certain half-deserted streets, the muttering retreats of restless nights in one-night cheap hotels, and sawdust restaurants with oyster shells. Streets that follow like a tedious argument of insidious intent, to lead you to an overwhelming question. Oh, do not ask, what is it? Let us go and make our visit. Look at that rhyme scheme, guys. I love it. I love it so much. It brings me joy. Okay, um, I didn't know what ether was. But when this poem was published in 1915, it was used as a surgical anesthetic.
1: Oh, that's weird. My mom used to use ether to like remove oil stains from my dad's clothes.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, she probably also could have used it to make you unconscious.
1: Yeah, we only use it in uh, well-ventilated areas.
0: That's good. But yeah, it's it's a kind of a weird image to start with because it throws you it throws you off your rhythm. Throws you for a loop. It throws you for a loop, because it sounds like it's going to be a more traditional poem, and then it's just this modernist nonsense. The overwhelming question, we never find out what it is, because he keeps trailing off with ellipses. He does it a lot. It's kind of got the vibe of, like, in Mamma Mia, when the daughter is really inappropriately reading her mom's youth diary, and she's like, and then... Dot, dot, dot! And then they start, like, thrusting to honey, honey. (laughs) I don't think the poem's really about the question, but it's the most analyzed part of the poem. That's why there's, like, so many critics talking about it, because there's, like, they're like, what is the question? I have a theory about what the question is, which I will reveal to you later. Stay tuned. But I think it's more about, like, how he feels about the question. That's the poem. Okay. So, Stanza 2 is, um something that's repeated twice it's in the room the women come and go talking of michelangelo or michelangelo if you're going to be fancy about it we are not (laughs) so basically he's talking about like the women come into his house he has to court them i think it's kind of like the social season type deal where he has to court like a bunch of different women like in bridgerton or like in um the importance of being earnest but he doesn't like it. Like, he doesn't want to be doing it. He finds it like, it becomes this Sisyphean task for him. Where he's like, ugh, I have to talk to another woman. It's going to be exactly the same as yesterday. Women, they're all the same. Yeah, so he does not want to talk to these women. Then he basically talks about this creepy yellow fog with some cat imagery. Like, the, the yellow fog is like a cat curling around a building. It's supposed to be creepy, but I just like cats so (laughs) (laughs) then stanza four he says some more stuff about the cat like yellow fog and then he says this is a really beautiful stanza that i'm probably going to make fun of go for it there will be time there will be time to prepare a face to meet the faces that you meet there will be time to murder and create and time for all the works and days of hands that lift and drop a question on your plate time for you and time for me and time yet for a hundred indecisions and for a hundred visions and revisions before the taking of toast and tea. That's really nice. Isn't it? Ah, slaps. Snap it out. (laughs) Slaps. It slaps. (laughs) So he's not afraid of death in this stanza yet. We'll get there. I think he's more afraid of life. He, like, sees his life stretched out in front of him as just this really repetitive thing. And then he goes on to wonder, do I dare, do I dare, do I dare disturb the universe? But, like, he knows he won't. He knows that his life's just going to be the same. Right. Like, you can
1: edit your life as much as you want and whatever, but, like, you... You have an end point. You have a start point. It's gonna be how it's gonna be.
0: Yeah, I guess. Like he wants to have a different life. I think, but he's he's like, we live in a society. Hashtag deep. <laughs> Like, he has to follow these expectations that have been set out for him. Would you
1: say that he's, like, um, performing? He feels like he has to performing. like, especially the part where he says to prepare a face to meet
0: the faces that you meet. Yeah, absolutely, I would say that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's almost like he's saying, like, you have to go through life and pretend to be something that you're not necessarily what you are. And I think there's there's a lot of identity politics in this.
0: Frick yeah, Amy, snap it the frick out. I know. I didn't even read this off Wikipedia. I
1: came up with a brain, Just popping right out of your head. Yeah, I was just like, oh, I know performing and
0: pretending. I could talk today. <laughs> Man, this brings me back. Oh, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Okay, so then he talks a little about like how he thinks people see him and talk about him. Oh, yeah, like what will they say? Yeah, he's like... They will say how his hair is growing thin. They will say, but how his arms and legs are thin. He thinks people are going to judge the way he looks and he's like really self-conscious about it. I don't think he's realized everyone else is doing the exact same thing and they don't care that much. Yeah, like I never,
1: it is for all the people who think that people think about them, I rarely think about other people about them. So like I used to look at other people's shoes on the subway a lot. Because I always hated the shoes I had to wear. Like, I, I never have, like, really nice shoes because I have stupid feet. <laughs> so I'm always looking at other people's shoes and I'm like, oh, that's a really nice pair of shoe. I wish I could pull it off. Or, huh, that person has interesting shoes that look just really practical. I bet they have feet like mine, you know? Like, they're just wide and they just have to buy whatever fits. But it's never like, oh, how are they wearing those shoes? It's like, oh! cool shoes that maybe I could wear. Like I never care about you as a person on the subway. I care about your shoes and how they could relate to
0: me because I'm a narcissist. And that's the thing, like we're all narcissists, you know? Like everyone's a little bit narcissistic where they don't spend that much time judging people. The internet will throw you off because everyone there is always judging everybody else. But in real life, like people aren't really paying attention to you they're more thinking about like oh what's that person thinking about me right now well yeah there's this um this girl in my shoppers who has a baby
1: yoda mask and every time i go to shoppers like she works there i want to tell her that i love her mask because i know she got it from the disney store because i almost bought one for myself and i want to talk to her about how comfy they are so fun and i always i never do because i'm like will she think that i was thinking about her baby yoda mask (laughs) so i just keep quiet And every time I leave, I'm like, did I tell her that I liked her baby Yoda mask or did I just say it in my head? And then I get wrapped up into my own thoughts. So even when I want to talk about somebody else, I still think about
0: myself. Do you know what you should do? You should just, instead of telling her you like her baby Yoda mask, you should just hand her a link to this episode. Blatant self-promotion while also telling the world what they need to hear. Uh, yes. (laughs) So yeah, he's... I think he's still in uh self-conscious, everyone's thinking about me mode, so he's not ready to put himself out there. And it's like, come on, Jay, you can put yourself out there. We believe in you, Jalfred. <laughs> Stop. Okay, then there's an excellent line that they hang up in second cups oh, everywhere. Yeah, it's that line that they hang up in every second cup. Can I? Can, like, I can I
1: say it to the people? Please do. Okay. So this line that's in every single coffee shop you ever go to, and it says, I have measured out my life with coffee spoons. Yes. But can I say something about this? Please do. The next line that goes, I know the voices dying with a dying fall, is actually from Twelfth Night. Oh, that's fun. So who cares about coffee spoons? I don't. I can't. This <laughs> I part's see. important. But dude, tell me more.
0: Uh, T.S. Eliot probably has a lot more allusions to other works in here that I wasn't paying attention to. So many. Because I was busy making fun of his honey honey dot dot dot. <laughs> but anyway, I love that they hang this line up because I'm sure the original person who hung it up got it and then was just like, but it doesn't matter. No one else is going to get it. And then everyone else who saw it was like... I don't know what that's from. It sounds fun. What it's actually about is that he measures out his life in like meaningless little bits and his life has no meaning because he's taking tea with all these women and he doesn't care about them and he doesn't care what they have to say and he's just in this like repetitive motion he's like talk about michelangelo walk in the room have some coffee have a cucumber sandwich talk about michelangelo like he does not want to be doing this so i have
1: this theory that the line has kind of come full circle though so a lot of them they're in second cups they're in starbucks it's, you know they're in like these big chain coffee places that you go to do work um and you were talking about how like you measure your life by insignificant things and like that's kind of how it it works now, though. You know, you have all your cups of coffee that you had throughout the day to keep you productive for this capitalist machine. It's like capitalism <laughs> took this line, applied it as a marketing thing, and it's kind of fulfilling itself in its own meaninglessness.
0: Oh my gosh, that is what capitalism does to everything. It's like how um, how they made a corporate pop version of that song from Mockingjay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a song about like wrongful convictions, right?
0: Uh, yeah, and then they kind of use it as like their rebellion song when they're rebelling against the government. Yeah, and then the capital takes it and uh, makes makes a marketing <laughs> gig out of it, as they do. Yeah. We'll just take every meaningful line of literature and we'll turn it into like a Forever 21 t-shirt.
1: Yeah, it's just like a Forever 21 t-shirt. Like this Coffee Spoons line (laughs) is a Forever 21 t-shirt and it's annoying. I wish this would not be a thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So then we have two stanzas together that basically are a spoiler alert for like the main part of my reading of this poem, um, which is... Actually, my professor's reading of the poem, but I have stolen it and co-opted it for personal use. Shout out. um, Because I really like it. And this is the only way I can read the poem now. So the two stanzas are, and I have known the arms already, known them all, arms that are braceleted and white and bare, but in the lamplight, downed with light brown hair. Uh, Then he talks about some perfume, blah, 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 blah. Shall I say as I have gone at dusk through narrow streets and watched the smoke that rises from the pipes of lonely men in shirt sleeves leaning out of windows? And I'm just gonna leave that for you to noodle on for a bit, because I have a big reveal at the end, but you probably already know what it is. And then right after that, he says, I should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling along the floor of silent seas. So basically, he's just like so conflicted that he doesn't even want to be a person. It's similar to another line before where he doesn't see himself as a person where he compares himself being observed by um, the women coming into his his rooms and probably their mothers, too, if they're being chaperoned as he Like, he compares himself to a wriggling bug pinned to a wall. Mm. That's how he feels like he's being analyzed. Like, he doesn't really see himself as human. That's very sad. Why do we keep having sad things?
1: Uh, I just love it so much. Okay. One day, guys, we will have happy, joyous things. Today is not that day. (laughs) This is a comedy podcast.
0: Insert joke here. Oh, man, it's too bad we lost our recording for that one bit of joke. Ah, that was such a good joke. It was a really good joke. It's too bad you will never get to hear it. Oh, well. Then we get into the next stanza and he talks about, like, time and stuff. Again. And he says, um, should I, after tea and cakes and ices have the strength to force the moment to its crisis. Which is a bangin' rhyme scheme. But also, he's talking about, like, if he's gonna disturb the universe again. Right. We live in a society. (laughs) We live in a society. (laughs) And then he says, Though I have seen my head grown slightly bald, brought in upon a platter, I am no prophet, and here's no great matter. I have seen the moment of my greatness flicker, and I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. And in short... I was afraid. And here's where he's afraid of death. Right. But I don't think he's actually afraid of death. I think he's just afraid of like, he'll get to the end of his life and it will have all not meant anything. Yeah, I think he's afraid of not living to the fullest. I think he has FOMO and a
1: bit of not enough YOLO.
0: Yes, that's exactly what he has. He's all FOMO, no YOLO. (laughs) See, this is where the
1: comedy comes from.
0: Paula. Ah, yes, that's exactly. Can you write a paper called All FOMO, No YOLO?
1: Probably.
0: I mean... T.S. Eliot's J. Alfred Prufrock. Aside from not being an academic anymore, yeah. Just do it. When we have our Patreon, that'll be one of our essays we release on the Patreon. But now I want to, just
1: to have that title exist somewhere, so that in, like, 40 years, when, like, a struggling fourth-year student is trying to figure out what to write about this, they'll, you know, find this and be like, is that really the goddamn title? (laughs) Because I I've, I've read papers and like one of the actual sentences was like something along the lines of they have the feel, the feelings of their feels. And I was like, what 2017 nonsense is this? And it was only 2018.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love when academic papers do this because it's fully just people seeing how much they can get away with. Like when you ran across a literary critic name remark and you had to write remark remarked in your paper it was uh it was the author
1: of the book oh my god yeah it was all quiet on a western front so yes alpha mo yolo <laughs>
0: yeah he never gets to shine he only flickers yeah i want him to shine You know who else would want him to shine? Oscar Wilde. Yes. But he's a really good foil to like Algernon from the importance of being earnest. He is. Because Algernon does literally whatever he wants and he doesn't give a shit about we live in a society saying anything.
1: He's all YOLO. No FOMO. Yes. (laughs) It's a juxtaposition essay now.
0: I love your comparative analysis. Beautiful. Stunning. All I wanted to say there was dollar dollar bills, y'all but I realized so there's him no
1: him. money in academia.
0: <laughs> uh, but he's always thinking that people are laughing at him, though. Like, he thinks death is laughing at him. He thinks the women are laughing at him. It's like, dude, you need to get out of your head. Yeah. Then he, uh, he talks about women judging him again, sort of. He's got this line that's like, if one settling a pillow by her head should say, that is not what I meant at all, that is not it at all. That's like his hypothetical marriage. Like, if he went through... With his courtship of one of these women. That's how he pictures marriage. Like, it's sad, but I kind of love how he pictures marriage. Like, it makes me giggle because he just pictures this woman sitting in a room and, like, giving him Sphinx like vague riddles all day until she can be like, ha-ha, you got one wrong, you're bald. Yeah. I was like, he has a,
1: there's this, like, <laughs> Fairy tale thing. Like he talks about like the skirts that trail along the floors, you know, the novels the teacups and so much more. But like it falls short for him. Yeah. It's like he has a, this pedestal idea. Like he has this idea of what marriage could be, but it's
0: clearly not good and
1: it's clearly not what he wants. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Ironically, this is a narrative poem, so it yeah. doesn't have anything to do with T.S. Eliot, really. No. And we shouldn't analyze it like it's about him. But he did end up in an unhappy marriage like this. Yep. Which we can get to later. Yep. Gotta keep our listeners on their toes. Gotta have something to look forward to. Later on he says, no, I am not Prince Hamlet, nor was I meant to be. Then he talks about how he's like an attendant lord, or maybe like the fool in the court. And honestly... This makes me more sympathetic to him. Yeah. Who likes Prince Hamlet? Wait,
1: Wikipedia is being helpful here. Okay. So in the final section of the poem, Prufrock rejects the idea that he is Prince Hamlet, which you've stated, suggesting that he's merely an attendant lord whose purpose is to advise a prince, a likely allusion to Polonius, Polonius being also almost at times The fool. I don't think you want to be Polonius either. He gets stabbed through the arras. Oh, no. Jalfred is not doing well. (laughs)
0: Jalfred's having a bad day.
1: Okay, so most people think Hamlet is better than we think Hamlet is, to be
0: fair. Hamlet's just as indecisive as this and also worse.
1: Yeah, Hamlet's a whiny little bitch. Uh, We'll get to that once we cover it. Again, we're giving you something to look forward to, <laughs> but I don't think he's in any way, shape, or form Polonius here. Like I, I, I don't know. I think I think Jalfred is selling himself short.
0: Yeah, you can be Hamlet if you want to be Jay, but don't, because no one likes Hamlet. Pick another protagonist. I think it's just because he's indecisive. He's just such a Libra. That's why.
1: Is T.S. Eliot a Libra?
0: I don't know. Called out though. <laughs> is he born on the twenty-sixth of September, So yeah. <laughs> I don't personally believe in astrology really but I kind of also do you can't be queer and not believe in astrology a little bit it's illegal they take your card away (laughs) take your card away (laughs) but yeah Libras are indecisive and that is a dig and you can at me if you want to at unsighted pot (laughs) then we get to an excellent line that I quote all the time I love this line it's not a poetic line it's just a fun line it's I grow old, I grow old. I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. I lived with you for four years. Yes, I never heard that. Is this because I called you out? Yeah,
1: that's not fair. Gotta get got. Ah, uh. <laughs> I didn't even do any research today.
0: Ah, uh, that's not that different than every other day. <laughs> This episode is, we're not even doing the Love Song of J.L. for Proof Rock. We'll just cut all that part out and the only parts we'll keep in is just us calling each other out on things. <laughs> we're going to have behind the
1: podcast, cited. um, it's going to have all these cut <laughs> and these extras and these, whatever else we have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So then, then he says, shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think that they will sing for me. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of that. I'm just kidding. We do. (laughs) That's why we're here. (laughs) That's why we're here. (laughs) So he's still indecisive. He's still a Libra. He's still very sad. The mermaids won't even sing to him. And mermaids, you know, they don't sing because they like you. They sing because they're trying to murder you. He's not even worth mermaids murdering him. That's what he thinks. So I have a question.
1: Go ahead. Is the peach emoji a butt for you? Yes. Okay, that's all I needed to
0: know. You know what would make a good addition to the peach emoji? A heart tattoo with Ernest written in it. (laughs) Yes. That's a callback to our importance of being earnest episode. If you didn't listen to it, what are you doing? If you didn't listen to it, it was literally one of our best episodes. Amy asked for pictures of butts. I did, and I still don't have them. That's true. So um, come through, but only if they're tattooed with the word Ernest. Don't send me your butts, please. I'm
1: not asking for that. I'm not solicitating you. Live your life.
0: Okay, <laughs> moving on. Okay, then we get to the last stanza, which is, I have seen them riding seaward on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves blown back. When the wind blows the water white and black, we have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed with seaweed red and brown till human voices wake us and we drown. the The mermaids, that is. Yeah. He's seen the mermaids. Yeah. But he's not drowning because of the mermaids. He's drowning because of human voices. I don't think he's literally drowning. I think he's just being like woken up from his little reverie he's having. Oh, is he
1: being melodramatic?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I think he's like, this is a daydream and we only exist in this daydream in this state. And once someone distracts me and I stop having this daydream, I will stop existing in that state and then I will drown. Right. Because life is too much. Yeah. Real life is too much. He's happy to uh ruminate in here
1: he has a lot of FOMO he doesn't have a lot of YOLO but he also has a lot of I don't want to leave my
0: house he would have thrived during COVID (laughs) he would so here's my reading of the poem please I will present you with evidence and then I will allow you to guess this is a fun little game show now okay do I win anything uh you win my my everlasting love and affection I already have that but keep going (laughs) Um, So he can't say exactly what he means. Right. If he spoke his truth, it would disturb his universe where he's expected to court ladies. Right. He doesn't like the ladies and he feels judged by them. Right. And he's walking around looking at men in shirt sleeves. So. Um, I'd like to solve.
1: Is it Jalfred is a little queer? He's gay. So close. I could have gotten the jackpot. Um, I'll give you the rhetoric, guys. So, um... A stunning turn of events.
0: I can't read this any other way now. Chantel Queer reads everything, and I have been given this on a silver platter. (laughs) Our professor was like, Chantel, thoughts? And you were like, gay? (laughs) Actually, when we did this in class, the evidence for that reading was presented pretty much the exact way I gave it to you. (laughs) It is not that far off. I miss class. Uh... Class. Okay, so again, this is a narrative poem yes. and we should not read it as Jay is T.S. Eliot because he is not. They are no. different people.
1: Jalfred is not it <laughs> <laughs> I hate
0: this. I'm so upset. I'm so genuinely upset. I think I need a break. A study with I your <laughs> spaghetti. <laughs> ah. I ah, can't believe you've done this to me again. <laughs> But I do, I would like to go over like a little bit of T.S. Eliot's life leading up to this and like a little bit after, because uh, we mentioned his wife. So let's, let's talk about that. Great, right, do tell. So he was a modernist poet. Uh, he was also an essayist and playwright. Other things that he wrote include The Hollow Men, The Wasteland, and uh, that one poem that the musical Cats is based off of. Are you serious?
1: He's the reason we have the live action Cats movie?
0: <laughs> indirectly I no longer stand. and directly yes he is Selly it obviously his original poem was much different than the musical cats I think Andrew Lloyd Webber took a lot of liberties and also did a lot of mushrooms when writing the musical cats fair but yeah that was this dude So he was born in Boston. Boston. And I think he did live in America when he was writing this, which is like 1910, 1911, I believe. He didn't move to England when he was 25, which was a year before he published his poem. He published it in uh, 1915 and he moved there in 1914.
1: I'm so mad. So T.S. Eliot, okay, did all of this by the time he was 25. And here I am and I'm just living through a pandemic and like he's about to live through a pandemic but like you know i'm big mad
0: yes but also you can't measure your accomplishments by those of other people no you
1: can only measure your days by spoonsfuls of coffee
0: <laughs> nice nice callback yeah i liked it thanks. okay he was born in st louis missouri that's not boston nope where's
1: boston boston is in <laughs> i know geography um so the boston he was born to a boston
0: elite family oh shit yeah but he was not born in Boston. Oh, that makes sense because they were saying that St. Louis had a lot of impact on his writing and uh, this might have been set in kind of like a St. Louis-esque town. Yeah. It's not named. It's just certain unforgotten or certain, certain half-deserted streets. I was close. So when he was a child, he had a hernia. Uh, he couldn't do a lot of physical activity because of it. And so he wasn't invited to do all the like fun kids things that they did in the 1900s, like running around. I was going to say like fall off a tree. Like falling out of trees. I don't know. What what did they do before iPhones? I don't know. Kicking a milk bottle down the street or something. Kick the cans probably popular. <laughs> I don't even know if they had cans yet though. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he couldn't do any of that stuff, so he was pretty isolated. Um, he read a lot, and he got to love literature that way, but we can see the isolation with Proofrock because Rock also feels very isolated. In what sense? But again, it's a narrative poem. Right. Like, he feels like no one really sees him. Right. Um, he feels like no one understands him, and he can't confide in anybody. So yeah, that's Jay, who is not T.S. Eliot. They are, again, different people. Um, He went to Harvard. He was an English major like us. Hey, and here we are, not writing poems. (laughs) While he was an English major, he fell in love with a woman named Emily Hale. She has released his love letters. I mean, I say she has, but she did it posthumously. Someone did. She wrote like 10 years after she died or something, um his love letters to her could be released and those were all written around the time that he was writing this. So it's not like he felt like he couldn't talk to women like he had a woman he in his life that he could actively talk to then later he moved to paris and then he moved to oxford he did not like oxford he said it was a horrible university town and it made him feel dead yeah uh then he moved to london where he met ezra pound who is a terrible influence and gives bad relationship advice but also probably influenced his career a lot but he did ezra did talk him into marrying his first wife vivian uh vivian hagwood was a london native she was chronically ill and she probably also had a lot of mental health issues and she was talked into marrying him by ezra pound as well she thought that she was saving him because she was like getting him to Stay in London, and he was doing the same thing. He was like, "If I marry her, I have to stay in London, and I won't be able to just quit and go back." And Ezra Pound was like, "Hey, you should marry him so he can stay in London, and you can save him from that terrible America place." And then he went to T.S. Eliot, and he was like, "Hey, you should marry her because you should stay in London and be my writing buddy." Um, Ezra Pound. Don't listen to him. Nope. Don't listen to that guy. She was very unhappy with him as he was with her. They did not get along at all. And then they split up and her brother had her committed to a mental hospital against her will, which is very terrible. She speculated that he was gay, but I think that's just because they weren't into each other.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at this right now. So her biographer, Carol Seymour Jones said that there was a strong streak of misogyny in the way Elliot regarded his first wife. He wrote to a friend that she had an original mind and I consider not at all a feminine one. Um, oh, yeah. and big yikes. Louise Menand argues in The New Yorker, shout out to The New Yorker, that Elliot regarded women the way he regarded Jews, seeing both as responsible for irrationality and romanticism. He was uneasy with female sexuality, which led to Seymour Jones to expect he was gay, which manifested itself in his poetry and his attitude towards his first wife's body. Menand writes that Elliot's work is replete with oversexed women whom he saw as modern succubi, Quote back to his mermaids, such as Gershkin's in his Whispers of Immortality.
0: Wow. So he was a misogynist and an anti Semite? Yeah, seems like it. It's not a good time. T.S. Eliot, you had potential. You had me there at the beginning, T.S. Eliot, I'm not gonna lie. But yeah, I, it kind of sounds like Emily Hale got a lucky break not ending up with this guy. He seems like he would not have been a good husband. Nope. Yeah, so that's that's all I got to in his biography because then he did other things that I didn't care about. <laughs> I
1: mean, his second wife was a major stockholder in the publishing firm Faber & Faber. Fun. So she seemed to have like a, a time. However, she did marry a man 40 years older than her. <laughs>
0: She was a strong smart, independent woman and she was probably uh, climbing the ladder and that's uh she's she's doing her thing. Yeah, she's
1: the one who's responsible for cats. <laughs> Valerie Elliott's most ludicrous decision as executor of T.S. Elliott's writings was granting permission for a stage musical to be based on her husband's work, Old Possum's Books of Practical Cats.
0: Oh my god, so it's her fault. What's her name? Valerie Elliott. Valerie Elliott is personally responsible for the live-action Cats movie. Yes. At her on Twitter.
1: Well, you can't anymore. She passed away like eight years ago. Wait, only eight? Yeah, she died in uh, 2012. She was born in 1926. Wow. T.S. Elliot was 40 years older than her. Wait, how old was she? So they married in 57. She was born in 26. That is unacceptable
0: to me. She was 31 and he would have been like 71.
1: Yeah, he died only 10 years later and he was 76. So he would have been 66 around.
0: Which is not ideal, you know? No, I, I don't like that. I don't like his biography. <laughs> his
1: personal life is not great. His Jalfred Prufrock love song? Great, but him good c- could be better. We do not stand. We do
0: not, we do not stand.
1: His Wikipedia page has an entire section on his anti-Semitism. Yuck, yuck, don't do that. Um okay, so here are some fun facts about this poem. Please tell me, let's get back to the uh the subject matter and not the subject writer.
0: Fun fact number one: Stephen King loved this poem. Of course he did. He made tons of references to it and in fact to a lot of T.S. Eliot works in his own novels. His character in Pet Cemetery, as he's walking to the grave to bury the cat, he says, do not ask what is it? Let us go and make our visit. So that's fun. Stephen King is recognizing that that line's more about like confronting your fears. Right. It's also referenced in John Green's The Fault in Our Stars. Oh! Oh, yeah that's true i read that hazel recites part of it for augustus when they have dinner in amsterdam right what part does she recite it's a great question um oh she reads we have lingered in the chambers of
1: the sea by sea girls with sea read red and brown till human voices wake us and we drown
0: yeah you're right so this is an especially fun fact because john green is how we met john green is how we met dftba guys so this was in like the the early 2010s. no this
1: was okay so this was like in september of 2013 i was really into the vlog brothers which is a youtube channel community thing um and their slogan if you will is don't forget to be awesome which is dftba um and i had it written on my whiteboard which was green outside of my door and Chantelle was like told her mom she was like oh dftba as i was like crossing the hallway to get back into my room and I was like hi that's me and then we became friends and the rest is history instantly and then we became roommates (laughs) yeah I mean to be fair we did talk on like a
0: Facebook group chat before we just didn't remember each other. yeah but we didn't remember that no (laughs) yeah so we are nerds and we like John Green I think that's all we have for you today unless you have anything to add about this well I have to rate it no oh yeah Amy um let me think of a rating scale Jesus Christ if you could rate this poem on a scale of one to ten coffee spoons what would you rate it?
1: A six. A six? Yeah. So just enough to give you like a good buzz, but not too much to give you too much jitter. <laughs> I think it has a lot of memorable parts. Um, because when you were, like, talking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this line. And, oh, yeah, this is really cool. But I do think it's overhyped and a bit overcommercialized.
0: Okay, so your your problem is not with the poem. It's how the poem is treated in popular culture.
1: Well, I also have issues with the poem because, I mean, there's a lot of allusions. And, like, I don't know my Greek literature that well. Also, like, a lot of it went over my <laughs> head until I, like, delved into it. And if I can't get something on the first try, most of the time, I'm like, eh. Take that down, new two notches. <laughs> but I do, like, I really enjoy it. Like, six is not a not enjoying. Six is a, it is a steady enjoyment. I would read it again. I would talk about it more. But I don't need to get it tattooed on my ass.
0: <laughs> Unlike Ernest. Unlike
1: Ernest in a heart. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all we have for you today. Y'all can reach us at our Twitter, which is at Pod, or by email, at unsightedpod podcast at outlook.com again the first at is not a commercial at it's just a t and it's not in the actual
0: email one day you'll not say at
1: you can reach us by emailing us uncited (laughs) podcast at outlook.com we are looking for your peer reviews your earnest photos and also if you have pictures of your dog or cat or other cute animal we would likely take them because life is hard, guys.
0: Yeah, just tweet us your, your pet pics. Yeah. We want to see them all the time. And, like, if you have a recommendation for
1: us to, like, go through that's not super long, like, I'm not going to read a novel right now. You know why. <laughs> However, if you have, like, a fun poem that you're like, hey, you guys should talk about this, and it's, like, under 300 lines, I would likely read it, and we can talk about it. we love to hear from you. And at one point, we will run out of things to talk about. Eventually. Not anytime soon. Not anytime soon, but, like, sometimes we, like, we think about how many times we've given you sad things. Um, or non-loving love poems throughout the month of love and we're like we need to give them joy (laughs) so if you have joy and you want it peppered into your podcast that you love listening to wink wink nudge nudge that's us rate
0: us on iTunes then let us know yeah so if you would like to support this podcast and you liked listening to us we would love if you would give us a subscribe rate us five stars on iTunes or tell any random person on the street about this but from a six foot distance yeah
1: like that girl at your shoppers that has a baby yoda mask you can tell her hey i think you're in this podcast and then they will know about our podcast
0: and uh then it will be slightly awkward for amy but it'll be super fun for me (laughs) personally yeah and we also have the merch you can find our merch on redbubble by searching unsighted podcast or there is a link on our twitter we hope to see you again in two weeks. we're not seeing them we hope you can hear us again in two weeks (laughs) We hope to interact with each other in your presence again in two weeks. We hope to put our voices into your earholes again in two weeks. Is that better for you? <laughs> it's great.
1: <laughs> and as always, we're excited when available.
0: Okay, here's what I thought I wrote. I thought I wrote, then an excellent like they hang. <laughs> um which is not what I wrote. Nope.